spine and sprocket. The book to read is not the one that thinks for you, but the one which makes you think. A classic is a book that is never finished saying what it has to say. No two persons ever read the same book. That is part of the beauty of all literature. You discover that your longings are universal longings, that you're not lonely and isolated from anyone. You belong. He sat in the living room trying to read. He'd make himself a whiskey and soda at his small bar, and he held a cold glass as he read a physiology text. From the speaker over the hallway door, the music of Schoenberg was playing loudly. Not loudly enough, though. He still heard them outside, their murmuring and their walkings about, and their cries, their snarling and fighting among themselves. Once in a while, a rock or a brick thudded off the house. Sometimes a dog barked, and they were all there for the same thing. Robert Neville closed his eyes a moment and held his lips in a tight line, and he opened his eyes and lit another cigarette, letting the smoke go deep into his lungs. He wished he'd had time to soundproof the house. Wouldn't be so bad if it weren't that he had to listen to them. Even after five months, it got on his nerves. Why didn't they leave him alone? Did they think they could all have him? Were they so stupid they thought that? Why did they keep coming every night? After five months, you'd think they'd give up and try elsewhere. He went over to the bar and made himself another drink. As he turned back into his chair, he heard stones rattling down across the roof and landing with thuds in the shrubbery beside the house. Above the noises he heard Ben Cortman shout, as he always shouted, Come out, Neville! Someday I'll get that bastard, he thought, as he took a big swallow of the bitter drink. Someday I'll knock a stake right through his chest. I'll make one a foot long for him. A special one with ribbons on it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow he'd soundproof the house. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spine and Sprocket, the greatest podcast on the Internet, the most popular podcast on the Internet, possibly the only podcast on the Internet. I think we announced that last time, so we're sticking with it. We did last time. Yeah. And it might be very appropriate for our topics this evening. That's right. Yeah, true. Last last podcast on Earth uh, for the last man on Earth. We are legend. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. Tonight's book that we're covering is I Am Legend, the famous I Am Legend by the great Richard Matheson. Did you know who Richard was? No, sir. You hadn't heard of his name before. No. He's done a lot of stuff. It's He's one of those names where you think, wow, he's written half of the stuff in Hollywood, but it, it's actually not that much, but he's written plenty. Have you read this book before? No, I had never read this. I knew it was around. I, I knew... I knew of it for a long time. What other things did he do? Well, he wrote, uh, I, this may be his, well, I don't, I don't know how many novels he wrote. 
But he wrote a novel about a, an incredible shrinking man that they later turned into a movie called... Um, the Incredible Shrinking Man. man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'd like to read that book because I loved that movie. The original, you know, back from the 50s. Uh-huh. And then he wrote the, a number of short stories that were turned into uh, Twilight Zone episodes, including 20, uh, Terror at 20,000 Feet, the one with William Shatner with that kind of monkey thing. Remember the monkey dancing on the wing? Yes. On the plane? Yeah. That was scary. Yeah. And as I told you, I read the rest of these short stories in his book here. Yeah. Our version of the book is I Am Legend and other short stories. I don't know if that's the way it was originally published, but the the short story Prey. Yeah. Yeah, it was later turned in in the 70s, was turned into one of the scariest things that ever appeared on television, which was the third part of a movie of a made for TV movie called Trilogy of Terror. Trilogy of Terror. It was called that, wasn't it? Starring Karen Black. Oh. Yeah, and uh, terrifying. It's one of those things where you go to school the next day and everybody was was talking talking about about it it. because nobody slept that night. And there was only three channels to choose from in those days. Yeah, that's true. About the little doll voodoo. What was it? A voodoo doll? Yeah, some kind of a voodoo doll. I don't know. Is that politically correct now to say voodoo doll? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, the one where the... It's a hunter doll, and then yeah. it hunts the girl all through her apartment. The necklace drops kind of, off, and it suddenly comes uh, to life. Yes. Because that's how it works. That's, how, that's the silly, science wasn't it, though? When silly? When, oh, we were scared from that, weren't we? We were terrified. We were. I wonder if I, that film holds up today. And actually, you know, though, actually, I don't remember seeing the whole thing. I, I may have yeah, been I out did. of the room, but I saw the last part where she's... Uh, She's been possessed by this thing, and she calls her mother and says she apologizes to her mother and says, "Why don't you come over, mom?" And she's, and she's sitting there digging, stabbing, in the, the, stabbing the floor with the butcher knife. Yeah, yeah, very true to the short story, by the way. Oh, is that? Yeah, I haven't read any of the other stories in the book. They're good. So, and he wrote uh, "What Dreams May Come." He wrote the the short story or the novel on which that movie was based. Oh, I saw that that movie. Robin Williams, Williams movie, movie about life after death. Yeah. So he's done a lot of stuff. And uh, th- this has got to be one of his most famous, because this has been made into movies four times. I thought three. Yeah, well. Vincent Price. Vincent Price did one in 1964. Which we're not reviewing yet. No. No, I didn't watch that. You Did, did you watch no. that? Looks great. You know, it's one of those classic Vincent Price filmed in Italy and then overdubbed in English. Like a lot of those. Oh. Movies from the '60s, those horror movies. Boris Karloff did a bunch in Italy, also. I did not overdubbed that. in English. Yeah. Um, so there's that one, which is called "The Last Man on Earth." Very catchy title. He did not write the sitcom that is currently on one of the channels. I don't know if it's a Netflix original series or Amazon called a series called "The Last Man on Earth." It's in about its fourth season now, with a, a former alum of. SNL, whose name escapes me at the moment, oh, is on there. But anyway, yeah. What was then this? there was Charlton Heston, The Omega Man. We will be reviewing that one later. Yep. 70s, maybe? Yep, in the 1974, I think, Omega Man. And then in 2005 or 2006, the Will Smith, I Am Legend. I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. And then there's actually one more that came out just before I Am Legend. It was one of these companies who... Heard that 
that one of the big studios was making <laughs> I Am Legend. <laughs> and so they, they quickly cobbled together their own with on a shoestring budget, I'm sure. And it's called, I think it's called I Am Omega. I'm sure. I'm serious. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? But I hear it's horrible. I do think you're kidding. It came out a month before the Will Smith one, and I hear it's horrible. I'm sure it is. So, uh, so yeah. But it makes me wonder. You know, what what is there about this? And we wanted to find out what is there about this book that makes Hollywood want to remake it over and over. That's right. So we bought it and read it, and are now bringing it to you. Yes. And so it opens with him. He's outside. Isn't that right? Yeah, it opens uh, far in the future. This was written in about 1957, I believe. Uh, But the action takes place January of 1976. So like 20 years in Richard's future. The far, far future, which for us was long ago. Ryan, he goes outside. He's so like reestablishing his house. He's put up defenses. He he lives. Um, he he's one of the last people on Earth, or the last person on Earth, as we, far we as we know from yeah, this. As far as we know, we don't really get around Earth much in this. And everyone else is has become vampires. Yes. Now this this shocked me to the core. I did not know this was a story about vampires. You couldn't tell from the cover. Well, I yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> the cover of the book gives it away because it says the most clever and riveting vampire novel since Dracula. Okay, yes, and the picture. But uh, after no, watching I, the Charlton Heston co- movie correct. and yes. after watching the Will Smith movie, yes. the word vampire never, never. was mentioned. They're not and really I that never kind of creatures. No. So, and we'll get into that in the movie reviews no. probably more, right? Yeah. So he's Because it wasn't guys with their hair slicked back talking like this. No. There was nothing like that in the movie. No, it was... Uh, He's reestablishing the garlic. Yeah, he lives alone. Around his he house. lives in some neighborhood. And he just opens with his you know, day-to-day activities. He's put mirrors up around his house. Yeah, mirrors. I didn't know vampires didn't like mirrors, supposedly didn't like mirrors. Is that because they're so vain? I do not know. They probably and then, think now, this story is another thing them. about the story. So and then he 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 spends his nights indoors. He has to always get back to the house, just yeah. like in the films. Yeah. And hearing all the noises outside, and he plays the music really loudly to, to stop that. Right. I noticed, yeah, there's a lot of reference to music. Uh, in, about in the first half, anyway, there's a lot of references to He's playing uh, music by Schoenberg. Um, then he mentions pieces, Verlachnacht, and... The Year of the Plague by Roger Lay, and on and on. I, I underlined a bunch of them, and I thought, I should listen to all these and see why it is. Oh, here, The Age of Anxiety by Leonard Bernstein. Or do you say Bernstein? Uh, I think it's Bernstein. Okay. Then I'll say Bernstein, because we don't want to agree on it. <laughs> it's better if we've got you know a little uh, competition going. So, yeah, he's, he listens to music so that he doesn't have to listen to the vampires because they gather around his house and kind of taunt. taunt him. They yeah, taunt him at night. taunting, taunting. Come yeah. out, Neville. Come out, Robert. I think it's Neville. 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 Yes, and, and, and there's one in particular that he knows. Uh, ben Cortman, one of the vampires Correct. outside who comes and taunts him. Has, he has a name. And 
you know, the thing it does a great job, right? Do you like the writing? Uh, yeah, for the most part, I did. Yes, because um, there weren't too many words. He also has. I thought it was very descriptive. Uh, he's got this character. Um, also, like the the lady vampires would come to the peephole. He would look out the peephole yeah. and do suggestive things. Yes, and he and he, but in this book, he kind of keeps struggling with his groin region. His nether region. region. <laughs> he struggles with it. Didn't you think there was a little over much or over much? Did you Did you notice it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the his longings because he's so lonely, you know, and that's a pretty primal human function. Correct. And it's really bugging him. And these <laughs> vampire girls are, you know, <laughs> how those vampire girls are <laughs> inappropriate. To try and lure him out of the house. Yeah. But even when he goes... Right. So He's not he, having any of that. Correct. So to speak. And he uh, introduces uh, through kinds of flashbacks, right, what happened to his... Yes. Wife. Yes. His story gets pieced together a little bit here and there. Yes. His wife, Virginia, his daughter, Kathy, who who we, we see early on, uh, he makes a trip. He takes a trip one day, you know, because he goes out during the day. Sometimes he hunts for vampires. Sometimes he goes on shopping excursions. And sometimes he, he goes to visit, he, at, at least one occasion, he went to visit his wife, his wife's body, Virginia, who was in a crypt. Yeah, oh, that's right. Somewhere. Was there a vampire in that crypt? There was a vampire sitting on the floor. I couldn't and quite... And he killed it with a steak or something? I forget. Uh, I think it was a um, hamburger. No. It wasn't a steak. It was a, a T-bone. <laughs> oh. No, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I, I actually don't recall what it was. Yeah, so he, he kind of flashbacks. You don't quite understand everything about what happened to his wife until near the end, or right? Yeah. When he adds more and more parts that their daughter got sick first? The daughter got sick and died. And as the plague was going on, we, we learned this, as, as Dave said, we learned this as we go along. As the plague was progressing... People were dying, and at least in this neighborhood, they had established an area where they would burn the bodies. It was a, a huge field where they would burn the bodies, and he let his daughter be burned. But he, he couldn't let his wife do that, and so he broke the rules and buried her himself. In, That's right. In a field, in a shallow grave, which no. is never a good idea. <laughs> no, you know, it better be deep. If you're going to bury somebody, <laughs> bury him deep. The shallow grave thing so always how, comes how, back to how, bite how you, How did she so get in the crypt? Well, uh, apparently she revived after being in the grave for a while. Now, the, the whole thing with, was confusing to me because this was, he, he determines this is a germ. He's kind of a scientific guy. He determines this is a germ, but there's two ways it attacks. I was going to ask you to clarify that for it me. It attacks living people and turns them into... The living, the living vampires? The living vampires. And then it can also affect you after you die. And it turns you into the bad kind of vampire. And that's the undead. Those were the undead ones. But they were all the same when he goes out killing them? He didn't... He never seemed to make a distinction between the two groups. But apparently the groups made distinctions because later on in the book, one group is going after the other one. The living ones were going after the undead ones. 
correct. Trying to clean and him out. he was the, like, normal guy then. Yeah. So, so he's living alone here. So. He's struggling with, yeah, also hit some some drinking problems, which you might Yeah. Have. Which sounded great. I know. He kept going Jeff, to the bar. Boy, he did he drink. Been... He could really throw him back. <laughs> which I'm, I'm thinking that's what I would do. Probably. Um, but then he, he does stop once he... Uh, was it that happened to his character when he found he didn't need it anymore? Oh, when he got into the science part and discovered yeah. the cells, he the, got a the hobby. actual disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, like I say, after having seen the movies even a couple of times, I saw both the movies a couple of times. I was surprised by where the book was going, and early on, um, he says, "I'll read this little paragraph here." Uh huh. He's talking about, he's sitting around thinking about the vampires and wondering kind of where they came from, if they were all, if they also appeared in history, like during the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages. And he's thinking about their history and he says, but are his, meaning vampires, are his needs any more shocking than the needs of other animals and men? So he's kind of considering, are they, are they really so bad? Is it so bad having vampires? He says, are his deeds more outrageous than the deeds of the parent? who drained the spirit from his child. The vampire may foster quickened heartbeats and levitated hair, but is he worse than the parent who gave to society a neurotic child who became a politician? Is he worse than the manufacturer who set up belated foundations with the money he made by handing bombs and guns to suicidal nationalists? Is he worse than the distiller who gave bastardized grain juice to stullifying further the brains of those who, sober, were incapable of progressive thought? Is he worse than the publisher who filled ubiquitous racks with lust and death wishes? Really now, search your soul, lovey. Is the vampire so bad? And early yes, on, I the thought, vampire is still worse. And, and, then, <laughs> and then the next sentence is, all he does is drink blood. Well, and... I'm a meat eater. Yeah. So it er, early on, it made me think this has kind of got a weird twist to it. They weren't necessarily evil. Yeah. Evil. Uh, they. Um, uh, they now it was interesting too. They all had these standard garlic th- problems, mirror problems. Yeah. Crosses. Crosses. And he was pondering, well, would a Jewish vampire be afraid of a cross? <laughs> yeah, which I no, thought, he did. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Kind and, of. And 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 he thought that some of them uh, are just adopting these. He was, so he was trying to scientifically figure out why. Yeah. And he did get into the garlic and the chemicals in it, and that they are against it. But he also said one of the vampires was he watched him climb a post outside his house and try to fly off yeah, of the lamppost. Kind of, Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. And fell thud to the ground. Yeah. So, so almost like they were. Um, Emotionally thinking, or you know, uh, what's the word for it? transference, or they were imitating what they thought a vampire should be, ah, uh, yeah, as opposed to what they naturally were from this disease, right? But they did get fangs, yeah, because so. he sort of indicated it, it. It may not be that the vampires are really allergic to gar- garlic, but they just thought they should be because that's the way the legend has always been. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was trying to come up with a chemical. Um, weapon to use against them, yeah. kind of by using garlic, the similar uh, components. 
And um, then so then he caught a girl and he wanted to test. Yeah, a girl vampire. On her. At last, mercifully, night came. He locked the garage door, went back to the house, and locked the front door, putting the heavy bar across it. Then he made a drink and sat down on the couch across from the woman. From the ceiling, right before her face, hung the cross. At 6.30 her eyes opened, suddenly like the eyes of a sleeper who has a definite job to do upon awakening, who does not move into consciousness with a vague entry, but with a single, clear-cut motion, knowing just what is to be done. Then she saw the cross and jerked her eyes from it with a sudden rattling gasp and her body twisted in the chair. Why are you afraid of it? he asked, startled at the sound of his own voice after so long. Her eyes, suddenly on him, made him shudder. The way they glowed, the way her tongue licked across her red lips, as if it were a separate life in her mouth. The way she flexed her body as if trying to move it closer to him. A guttural rumbling filled her throat like the sound of a dog defending its bone. The cross, he said nervously, why are you afraid of it? She strained against her bonds, her hands raking across the sides of the chair. No words from her, only a harsh, gasping succession of breaths. Her body writhed on the chair. Her eyes burned into him. The cross, he snapped angrily. He was on his feet, the glass falling and splashing across the rug. He grabbed the string with tense fingers and swung the cross before her eyes. She flung her head away with a frightened snarl and recoiled into the chair. Look at it, he yelled at her. The sound of terror-stricken whining came from her. Her eyes moved wildly around the room, great white eyes with pupils like specks of soot. He grabbed at her shoulder, then jerked his hand back. It was dribbling blood from raw teeth wounds. His stomach muscles jerked in. The hand lashed out again, this time smashing her across the cheek and snapping her head to the side. Ten minutes later, he threw her body out the front door and slammed it again in their faces. Then he stood there against the door, breathing heavily. Faintly, he heard through the soundproofing the sound of them fighting like jackals for the spoils. Later, he went to the bathroom and poured alcohol into the teeth gouges, enjoying fiercely the burning pain in his flesh. And so that's what it was like with him grabbing people and experimenting on them. Yeah. And- and trying to find a cure, right? It's also right. as part of this. So yeah. to find out why they are against garlic and all those kinds of things. Let's see, do we I, did we find out why he was immune? No, he didn't I don't get remember it? from the book. Yeah, I can't remember that. I just finished the book today too. I, uh, I don't know. It's not and it's not that long a book. Just, no, but I, I I don't remember offhand. I mean, I like this part where where he's um shooting Ben Cortman. Yeah. Now, and so some of them would die and some of them wouldn't die from bullets? Well, it seemed like it, it, he went to some length at one point to to explain why bullets had no effect on vampires. Yeah, so he's they had like a gluey substance in their blood and it would cor- it would seal it up. Re- seal it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so but then there was a part where he was shooting. Yeah, he's shooting Ben, ben Cortman, Cor- Cortman got in the house. flopping around, flopping backwards, and then he starts comparing him to Oliver Hardy from yeah, Laurel and Laurel Hardy. Yeah, Hardy, which... <laughs> yeah. 
at the time I, I yeah it, I didn't quite you know but now I'm looking at it again here you think about the uh, slapstick comedy yeah where they're always getting hurt yeah and they're always okay then after they get hurt yeah and so that's <laughs> the vampires getting shot and then coming back up yeah like the bullet would knock them over yeah ripped by bullets punctured by knives I'm reading here flattened by cars smashed under collapsing chimneys submerged in water flung through pipes Always returning, patient and bruised, that's who Ben Cortman was. A hideously malignant Oliver Hardy, buffeted and long-suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so, And I kept trying to think, so who does Ben Cortman... He used to drive him to work. Yes. I know, he, was, but who, how does he fit into this? How does he, who does he represent to, uh, to Neville, to Richard Neville? You know, I'm always looking for the symbolism. Let's go back to yeah. high school. Why the does symbolism. he? Now, if he just rec- represents the old, the old way of culture, I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll come up with it as we're, as we talk a little bit here. Did you notice this? This is something I noticed. He doesn't talk about uh, Muslims. He talks about Mohammedans. Oh, I did not catch that. Yeah. Yeah, several areas he talks no about Muslims. them as Mohammedans, and I, I remember that back in the back in the day when I was in elementary school and we were just um, learning about the great religions of the world, there was Christianity and Judaism and, and uh, Buddhism and Mohammedanism. I did not. I yeah. And it wasn't until way. I was in college, I think that they started calling it Islam, Islam and Muslim. Yeah. Interesting. And so the the dog part did you like that he finds this dog that's actually like alive yes was he bitten or something i didn't really like this part because he, he spent 10 pages maybe on this story with the dog and i didn't really get why there's a dog who was afraid of him and he was so happy to see the dog yeah because he hadn't seen so any lonely. dogs because he's lonely and he Spends a lot of time, weeks, finally luring the dog up so the dog would be friendly with him, came up and would eat on his porch, and eventually got to a point where he could pick up the dog and pet the dog. And then a week later, it died. the dog died. I was sad. Well, <laughs> I was too, but I wasn't sure. It was a little long, I guess. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't sure why that was in there. Because he had to lure it out, uh, putting food on his porch, and then the next day the food was gone, so it probably ate the food, and then... He's hoping it would survive with the the disease vampires and so on. Yeah. But and I think it was around when the dog showed up that he started cutting back his drinking. Right before that, there was a little part where he said he was talking about his drinking. I'm an animal, a dumb, stupid animal. He's just being hard on himself, and he was. Uh, he says he spun and stumbled to the bar again. He filled another glass and poured the contents down his throat. I wish I had a pipe with whiskey in it, he thought. I'd connect a hose to it and flush whiskey down me until it came out my ears, until I floated in it. I thought, yeah. Wow, that's a serious <laughs> drink. <laughs> but then the dog comes and he he starts turning a little. He starts changing a little bit. Yeah, you're right. It was... But he also wonders why there's a part where he wonders why he never killed himself. He he does a lot of that. He does a lot of that thinking things over and, and wondering, why doesn't he kill himself? Why do the vampires act like this? Why is he so lonely? Why, why, why? Yeah. Interesting. 
in this spot, he uh, said, yeah, I don't need the drink. He thought, my emotions don't need feeding anymore. I don't need liquor for, for getting or escaping. I don't have to escape from anything. Not now. For the first time since the dog had died, he smiled and felt within himself a quiet, modulate, well-modulated satisfaction. There were still many things to learn, but not so many as before. Strangely, life was becoming almost bearable. I donned the robe of hermit without a cry, he thought. On the phonograph, music played, quiet and unhurried. Outside, the vampires waited. Yeah. And they just waited. And he thought they'd never burn his house down because they're kind of deranged also. Yes, I was wondering about that too. He burned, he himself burned down the houses on either side of his so that the vampires couldn't jump, on uh, his jump roof onto his roof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they never resorted to fire or anything. They never, they didn't have guns. They didn't have, they apparently didn't have hammers. They could have just hammered their way into his house. I don't know why they could. Well, I guess he kept putting the garlic out so they couldn't get into his house. Yeah, they had to stay away. He spent a lot of time on the garlic, rounding up garlic. And so then comes getting toward the big finale here. He sees the woman. Yes. Walking in the daytime. Yes. So he calls to her. She runs. He chases her down. Yes. And uh, he brings her into his house. Yes, and she is very frightened of him. She doesn't want to come with him, but he sort of uh, you know, won't let her away. He doesn't want to hurt her or anything. He just wants some company, and he, and he wants to know all about her. But um, and uh, <laughs> I noticed this. He's, he seems to write this a number of times where she was running away from him, and he talks about he saw her bronze legs pumping as she fled across the uneven surface of the field. And then later he talks about when he's running, his legs drove him up over the curb and into the field. And then later on he says, his powerful long legs pistoned, pistoned on. He used that term a number of times. And I thought he's really got a thing for for running people, wanting to describe <laughs> running people and their legs pistoning and pumping and... I don't, I don't know. I just noticed well, stuff when you're like running, that. it's all about your legs. Well, yes, it is. But <laughs> when I hey, think about legs think... pistoning, I don't think you get anywhere when your <laughs> legs are pistoning. You're just, just like running in place. Yeah. Hey, I think I found the uh, his immunity. Why are we immune? She asked. For a long moment, he looked at her, the woman that he found outside and brought in his house a little bit against her will at first because she was very scared and like the dog she finally got a little used to him and they started talking and he says I don't know about you as for me I was stationed in Panama during the war I was bitten by a vampire bat oh yeah I can't he prove was it, my theory that's right yes that it yeah that he had acquired the vampire Paris germ and was then immune yes like, like a yeah. vaccine right so there you go that's it so he wants to test this woman he talks about the the stakes being better than a bullet because it it keeps the wound open so they die. Yeah, so he found a scientific explanation of why stakes work. When and actually he found out that, you know, any any good long deep wound would actually do it. And he kind of uh, bemoans the fact that he spent so much time making, making stakes, stakes <laughs> thinking they had to be wooden stakes. When actually just like cutting somebody's arm off would probably have done it. Yeah, I remember the part where the neighbors got all mad at him because he kept tearing their fence down and making stakes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so 
he he wakes up in the girl's dress. Oh no, he's going to test her, right? He yeah, her he, blood he under wants the to know. He's microscope because she might be I, infected. You know, and I felt like they had kind of a weird, a strained relationship, and he wanted to know if she maybe was infected. Yeah, and she didn't really want him to be t- to testing her. Correct. She was hesitant about that, but she finally uh, agreed. And. She was also then caught leaving the house. Yes. Without telling him. Right. He woke up one day and she was leaving. She was like sneaking out and he was getting suspicious about her. And he was suspicious about her story. She had said that she had survived. And this is is three years into the story uh, since the plague started. How she had survived. She said she had survived with her husband in a nearby neighborhood for the last three years. And he was like, well, how come I never saw you? And she said, well, it's a big neighborhood. And he's, he, he tried to get information out of her, but she was very hesitant to talk about any of it. Yeah, and he does talk about his wife coming back to him when she was a vampire. His wife, Virginia? Yeah. Yeah. Because you did say he buried her shallow. <laughs> he did. So now he's got but, this woman. He's suspicious, and and we're we're he's suspicious, and we're also seeing him. He's changing. It's there's a paragraph where he talks about his sex drive had diminished, had diminished, had virtually disappeared. Salvation of the monk, he thought. The drive had to go sooner or later, and he seemed fine with it. And he, and a couple pages later, it says, um, he suddenly realized he had become an ill-tempered and inveterate bachelor again. He no longer thought about his wife, his child, his past life. The present was enough. And he was afraid of the possible demand that he make sacrifices and accept responsibility again. So he was afraid of loving again. It was, uh, you know, I'm getting these little... Hints that he's losing his humanity. And that was about the time when... Um, he decides to look in the microscope? Yes. he gets blood? He gets her blood. And wham. Yeah. She takes a mallet to his head. Yeah, she whacks him right in the head. I think she was... They were playing uh, Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. <laughs> during that, well, during there, that scene. Well, there's the legs again. Yeah. I and told you not to, she cried. He clutched at her legs, and she drove the mallet down a third time in the back of his skull. Yeah. His hands went limp and slid off her calves. So you're right, there's a leg thing going on. He's got a leg thing. I think that's it. <laughs> so she comes back, is that right? In part, She runs away because she was infected, right? She was infected. And he gets... He gets captured. She runs away. She left him a letter explaining, "Um, I really do like you. I had this fake tan makeup on me. Yeah. yeah, Right? Yeah. Um, Trump tanner. They're going to come and get you? Was that what she was saying in the letter? Yeah. Like she knew that the the living infected were going to come and get him. And she was warning him. And told him to leave, but he didn't want to leave. He liked being in his house. Yeah. He didn't want to leave his house. 
So then the, the living infected started sweeping through the area, hunting down the undead vampires. And he's and, watching and that through his people. Yeah, he's watching all of that. And then they turn to his house. Yeah. He, they, run, he runs for a gun, a weapon. They have weapons, right? Yes. He's captured. And when he comes to... He's in a room. He's locked in a room. And they're going to execute him. And she comes in. She comes back. She she comes in and she says, they're going to execute you. And he's not too happy about that. But he, I don't know. He was strangely resigned to it. Like, I, you know, that's just what's going to happen. I, I think so. And and the inter- interesting part I thought was really brilliant here is um, they mean to, I'm reading here, page 168, they mean to execute you even though you're wounded. They have to. The people have been out there all night waiting. They're terrified of you, Robert. They hate you and they want your life. Yeah. Because he went around, right, killing them. Yes. So I thought that was the cool twist. In the end, he's the threat right. to the new society. He's the murderer. Right. He's not. He's, he's, he's the, the monster. Guy. He's the monster. He says. Uh, he says. And suddenly he thought, "I'm the abnormal one now." Normalcy was a majority concept, the standard <laughs> of many, and not the standard of just one man. And so he realized that, and so he. She gave him some uh, suicide pills. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you get those. At the store. At the store. Okay, the suicide pill aisle. But and he takes think, them. And no, did he take them? He takes them and he croaks. A coughing chuckle filled his throat. He turned and leaned against the wall while he swallowed the pills. All right. Full circle, he thought, while the final lethargy crept into his limbs. Full circle. A new terror born in death. A new superstition entering the unassailable fortress of forever. I am legend. Yeah. And right before that, when he's looking out at the new people of the new earth. Yeah. And the concept that came, that we just mentioned, amusing to him, even in his pain. Yeah. That he's the one. He's <laughs> the, the bad one. one. He's yeah. the monster. Yes. That he, he gets a chuckle out of that as he... Yep. And that I, I thought it was a great ending. So what would you think overall, Jeff? Uh, I thought it was fair. Really? I I did. Why not great? Um well the good guy lost. But I love that kind of thing. I, I do you? Yeah, I didn't like <laughs> Often, that the good guy lost. Yes. I I don't know. I felt the I felt the the prose was kind of meandering and um not very scary, not really engaging. I I didn't really I didn't love it. I was glad it was only 170 pages. And I didn't love him as a character. Maybe I didn't need to. But I also, you know, I, maybe it's because I'd seen the movies a couple of times. And the movies were very different from each other and different from the book. And they all had different stories to tell. But it made me think, what's the point of taking a book like this and turning it into a movie and then changing it? I was we'll, wondering about that myself. I guess we'll talk about that when we talk about the movies. On the but, next show. But they're very different from the from this book. Correct. I mean, they... they all have their horrible endings, but and it's kind of like when we talked about War of the Worlds. Yeah, that there it hasn't been made yet, set in the time period of the Victorian England. 
kind of thing. Yeah. They all take their departures and make them modernize them somehow. And that we'd like to see the movie that is the original. Yeah. With tripods and top hats. Right. <laughs> and with this book, I'd kind of like to see the film that is The Vampires. Really? Yeah. I thought it was very well maybe written. that's Maybe that's what uh, I Am uh, Omega is all about. <laughs> I doubt it, though. It'll, it'll Somehow I doubt it. Make us watch. Was the Vincent Price one like that? You didn't see that? No, I haven't seen that yet. That's okay. on my list. Maybe we're going to have to come yeah. back and revisit that. Yeah, I think so. So, you're but right about you his think? character. I, yeah. I, I didn't, yeah, I never, like, yeah, loved, really, really loved him. He... I was expecting more. I was expecting more tension. I was expecting more fear. Now, his other short stories I found scary. You're right. About the fear, I did find the yeah. other short stories more scary. Yeah. Did actually. you? Actually. Kind of spooky scary. Yeah. Now, maybe you won't, but I did. Yeah. And then comparing those to I Am Legend, you're right. The Maybe because they were vampire-like or... You know, but when they're like yelling at his house and stuff, and like we played at the beginning, I thought that was kind of scary. Yeah, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, but the yeah, it could have been more, I suppose. Yes, yes, he doesn't describe them as being scary. I don't even see, no, and we never see any real vampire like behavior. Like, obviously, none of them turn into bats or any of that, but he doesn't see them like attacking somebody and tearing them to pieces, or it's you know, it's missing in this, huh? blood yeah the although i wondered if you would have liked his restraint you mean, you mean to say blood <laughs> because here i made a note on this page 26 early he stood in the bedroom doorway this is when he kills one of them with a stake in the yeah. daytime uh she made no sound except for the sudden horse and take a breath they all do that don't they yeah <sighs> when they get the stake <sighs> in the heart and what else can I do? He asked himself, or he still had to convince himself what he was doing was the right thing. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, there's a, I didn't notice that little preview of maybe the ending there. Mm -hmm. And then he stood in the, um, staring at the small bed by the window, his throat moving. Then he, he walked to the side of the bed, looked down at her. Why do they all look like Kathy to me? He thought, drawing out the second stake with shaking hands. And we don't, you have it being driven in. We don't have screaming right. blood all no. over the place. S squirting everywhere. I mean, and it must have been a mess, but he doesn't talk about that. Yeah. Which, I don't you know if that you'd like that restraint. I just pull out the steak you know, out of my bag and boom. Yeah. We know what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. You read one sentence there about her throat mm -hmm. or his throat. His throat moving, breath shuddering. His, in his throat chest. moving. He uses that line or some references to people's throat moving like seven times. Did you notice that? No. It's kind of like the the legs pistoning and the throat moving. I couldn't, I can figure, what is that? What is he talking about? The throat moving. In the last few pages, it's uh, Robert's throat moved and the girl's throat moved. And I thought, what is he trying to tell me here? It's about vampires biting Well, throats. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pretty hard on this. I don't, I don't really get why it's uh, such a, such a loved. I mean, is the concept particularly imaginative? Yes, the last man on earth. Last man on earth. 
Maybe. Sure. Maybe this is the one that started all the other Last Man on Earth kinds of movies. Because there have been plenty of these post-apocalyptic movies. I mean, they're very popular now. Yes, and post-apocalyptic, correct. Yeah. And this disease, not apocalypse. but Right. Yeah, but if you know, if you see, uh, and, and of course, zombie stuff, you know, maybe it was the beginning of all of that kind of stuff. I felt, you know, there were some uh, elements that Night of the Living Dead may have pulled from this. Some of the feeling and some of the social uh, commentary that he's making. Yeah. Kind of came through in that as well. But maybe it's because it was an, uh, so original at the time. Yep, could be. Yeah. But for me, yeah. yeah. Did I, well, well, are the movies any good? We'll know next time. Tune in next time to yeah. find out. Yeah. So there it is. I am Legend. We did it. And we'll sign off and say goodbye. Yeah. See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Spine. And Sprocket. <laughs>